BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Tom Hartman here with you. There's a couple of things that I wanted to just lay on the table and have a conversation with you about. How did the Supreme Court justify in Citizens United the whole idea that corporations should be able to participate in politics? And I pointed out that the court basically took the First Amendment and turned it inside out and said that the right to speak is also a right to be heard and that we average people have a right to hear and if billionaires and giant corporations are stopped by the law from inserting themselves into politics from running political ads then we don't get to hear those ads and our free speech rights are inhibited because we didn't hear the ads that's the logic of citizens united that's how bizarre it is but hey Five out of nine justices on the Supreme Court not only bought that logic, but, you know, invested an enormous amount of time and effort into selling that logic to the rest of us. Now we've got a new kind of logic on the horizon, and this is something that has gotten very little attention about uh, Amy Coney Bryant, excuse me, Barrett, and I think really we should be paying attention to this. There's this thing called 14th Amendment denialism. You've heard about climate deniers. You've heard about d- democracy deniers. You've heard about, yeah, I mean, it's, you know, COVID deniers, mask denier. Well, now there's 14th Amendment denial. Now, the 13th, 14th, and 15th Amendments were passed in the years immediately after the Civil War to end slavery in the United States. The 13th Amendment explicitly says The only way that slavery can survive going forward in the United States is if somebody has committed a crime and is imprisoned under law. If you are imprisoned under law, you can still be considered a slave, but otherwise slavery has ended in the United States. That's the 13th Amendment. The 14th Amendment has a couple of provisions in it. The the two main ones are, number one, if you are born in the United States, you are a citizen of the United States. And number two, and actually this is number one, the big part of it, is that every citizen of the United States is entitled to equal protection under the law. It's called the Equal Protection Clause of the 14th Amendment. And that has been used to basically enforce our civil rights laws. The 14th Amendment is the cornerstone on which the Civil Rights Act of 1964 and and the Voting Rights Act of 1965 and multiple civil rights laws have been passed is on that part of the 14th Amendment. And then the 15th Amendment, which was passed a year or so after the 14th Amendment, Um, says that uh, people can vote regardless of their previous position of servitude. So, end of history lesson, right? Okay, there's there's your history lesson. Now comes Amy Coney Barrett saying, and these are actual quotes. These are two quotes that she has written about the 14th Amendment. Quote, Congress has to decide whether to, rep- whether to rely on the power conferred by the possibly illegitimate 14th Amendment. Possibly illegitimate? And then she wrote, the originalist legislator, legislator may have to face questions such as the legitimacy of the 14th Amendment. Now, this legitimacy argument is one that has been made by apologists for Jim Crow literally since the 1870s. And it goes something like this. 
When the 13th, 14th, and 15th Amendments were passed and put into the Constitution, the Confederate states had no say in them because they were not allowed back into the Union until after they had amended their own state constitutions to strip out slavery. That literally, uh, you know, I mean, that, that's a, that, that was the core of Reconstruction. We're going to reconstruct these states. We're going to rebuild these states, the, the legal structure of these states, so that they're no longer slave states. And so the argument, the 14th Amendment denier argument, is that because, you know, a, a bunch of states, the, the, the former Confederate states, were not, did not have a say in arguing or passing or ratifying the 13th, 14th, and 15th Amendments. Therefore, they are illegitimate. Therefore, we shouldn't have to pay any attention to them. Therefore, slavery is not outlawed in the United States, 13th Amendment. Therefore, you don't have the right of equal protection under the law, regardless of what minority group you may be belong to, the 14th Amendment. Therefore, you don't have birthright citizenship if your parents were illegal immigrants, you know, to use the phrase of the right from Mexico, for example, and you were born here. And therefore, if you're black in the United States or Hispanic in the United States or Native American in the United States, you don't have a specific right to vote. The 15th Amendment that, that deals specifically with black people, but but, you know, ancestors of slaves. But but, you know, broadly speaking, this this is what it is. And I mean, this is totally mind boggling. Right. Georgia's state legislature passed a resolution. This was uh, this is the title of the resolution, quote, a memorial to Congress of the United States of America, urging them to enact such legislation as they may deem fit to declare the 14th and 15th Amendments to the Constitution of the United States were never validly adopted and that they are null and void of no effect, end quote. Now that passed the Georgia legislature. It was 1957, but it passed the Georgia legislature. This is a white supremacist mythology, period, full stop. There is no other way to describe this than that. And on at least two occasions that we know about, Amy Coney Barrett has called, has questioned the legitimacy of the 14th Amendment in this context. You're listening to the Tom Hartman Program. Let us hope somebody asks about that at her confirmation hearings, assuming that we get to that point. We'll be back with you. Tom Hartman here. Did you know that the Second Amendment was written to protect the slave patrols in South Carolina and Georgia back in the day? It's in my new book, The Hidden History of Guns and the Second Amendment. Check it out. Thanks so much. Paul in Woodenville, Washington. Hey, Paul, what's on your mind today? I wanted to say about Amy Coney Barrett. The first thing is I was struck by, I was not impressed at all by the way she speaks. Uh, she just, hard to put my finger on, but she sounded immature in some regard for a person of well, She's 40, 44 years, years old, isn't she? 48? Well, I'm sorry, but she, she spoke more kind of like a, uh, I don't know, a high school or a college student. She pronounces poignant with the hard G, poignant. Is that because that's the way they said it in the uh, during the days of the colonial period? Is that what she's trying to get at? I mean, this is- <laughs> it's her originalism coming out, Paul. I mean, she's from yeah, Indiana, well, right? And I'm from Michigan, and I've never, you know, which is the kind of same part of the Midwest. I never heard anybody pronounce poignant with a hard G. That's the kind of thing that happens to people who read words and never hear them. Well, you know, Tom, when I was teaching special education, I had a kid who's pronounced the word walk he's pronounced walk and he said walk and talk pronounced the l in walk and talk and i didn't understand that the other kids used to make fun of him and then when i met with his mother for a fair teacher conferences and she said yeah his whole problem is he talks too much and i went oh, okay now i see where the problem comes from so there's some problem mm-hmm. there but as far as what she said about the affordable care act that it's unconstitutional because it didn't exist in in original times 
absolutely false. I have an article, or I, I have one here, I, and it's by Harvard Law Professor Einer R. Elhager. Elhager is E-L-H-O-U-G-E-R. Einer is I-E-N-E-R. Einer R. Elhager, who wrote an article during this same period of the uh, Affordable Care Act debate in the Supreme Court when Scalia was there, and he cited Congress... Uh, Congress passed a law in 1798 requiring seafaring businesses to provide hospitalization insurance for their sailors. So he was right. saying, no, it has been required before by the government on private industry. And when Antonin Scalia said, "Should the, can the government require you to buy broccoli? Well, Professor L. Hogger says, in 1792, Congress required that all men between the ages of 18 and 44 have an operating musket and a sufficient uh, amount of powder, whatever, a measure of powder, and a uh, certain number of ball for shots. So, yeah, right. Congress has required broccoli and uh, medical insurance in the, in, in, in the uh, colonial, in the original times, yeah. So she's absolutely false. And I'm surprised she doesn't know about that if she's such a brilliant legal scholar. I know about it, and I'm not even a lawyer. So there you go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I hope that kind of makes it into the arguments. I'm familiar with that law. We talked about that back during the Obamacare debates. Uh, in fact, yep. I used that argument against you know, right-wingers on a couple of occasions. I don't think that any of this... When you look at the ideology that is presented by people like Alito and Thomas and, you know, to, to a large extent, Roberts, he's not totally insane. And uh, Handmaiden Amy here. And if anybody's offended by my calling her that, let me know. And why? Is that sexist? I don't know. You know, I, I wouldn't attack her, for example, for what her voice sounds like. I, you know, I don't think she has a lot of control over that. But, Paul, it's, it, I, they're... they're they're not basing their arguments on logic. That's why they have originalism. Originalism allows that, you know, it's like religion. And so the guy who, the evangelical minister who gets up on, on TV or the radio or in front of the congregation and, and basically says God told him that abortion is wrong. I mean, there's actually several places in the Bible where God causes abortions. Numbers chapter 5 as a recipe for abortions. But I, on that line, I would ask Judge Coney Barrett, how would you possibly relate the Bible in the 21st century, because certainly there's no way you can read the Bible in English and propose to think that it's relevant in the 21st century. You would have to be an expert in reading Greek and also an expert in Greco-Roman history to know, have any right. idea what the hell the Bible really meant in original times. Yeah. And there's, you know, Elaine Pagels and Peter Funk. And I mean, there's some brilliant uh, scholars out there who are deconstructing that stuff. But in my mind, that should all stay in the realm of religion, frankly, period, full stop. Paul, thanks for the call. Charles in Miami. Hey, Charles, what's up? Hey, how you doing, Tom? Love your show every day. Thank you. I've been riding with you since about, what, 2001, 2002? <laughs> um, I think we and, started uh, the show in three. So, yeah. Okay. Okay. Back to what Paul was just saying, just to piggyback on that. Just like there's an Old Testament, there's a New Testament. So people actually evolve. Our civilization has evolved. You know, the way we govern as well has evolved. So we can't, I, I don't believe in the, you know, you have to be an originist. Not in the, I mean, you can keep the letter it's of the law. It's a scam, Charles. It's just exactly. a scam. It's, it, you know, they're mind reading the founders just like these preachers claim to mind read God. And sorry, it ain't real in either case. Right, but what I wanted to call, what I was calling you about was it's also a scam to think that the um, Supreme Court is, should pick our next president because there's no yeah. way in the Constitution that says that. And what we should be arguing is even if they put that judge on the court, then when, um, Biden takes over with practice court, they should even probably do a second election. If, if yeah. that's what it takes. Yeah, I think it's entirely possible if if Trump actually steals this election and the and particularly with help from the Supreme Court, it may produce the biggest reformation in the history of America. We'll see. We'll see. Charles, thank you for You're the call. You're listening to Tom Hartman. Visit TomHartman.com for audio and video archives. 
I think people are seriously over it. They are sick and tired of the games and the BS and the corruption that comes out of the Republican Party. They're just sick of it. Hey, we have a new video up over at TomHartman.com. I really enjoy doing these separate from what we're doing on the air because sometimes I can say things that I, you know, would be impolitic or inappropriate to say on the air. Like the name of the website that I'm talking about in this video, and I lay it out and share it with you on the video. It's uh, ratbleepingthecourts.com. And the bleeping, of course, is a word that you just can't say on the air that starts with F. And uh, this website is just outing these judges that Donald Trump and the Federalist Society have been sending through Mitch McConnell's Senate like a friggin' assembly line and how unqualified they are, how hateful they are, how aggressively they've worked to screw students, to deny, well, one of them actually said that women who are on birth control pills, that should be reason to fire people, right? I mean, this is just insane. You can check it out over at TomHartman.com. So just a few more thoughts about Handmaiden Amy that uh, Donald Trump wants to put on the Supreme Court. Not only was she part of the conspiracy to steal the 2000 election for George W. Bush, along with Brett Kavanaugh and John Roberts, not only was she part of that, but when you look at her record, it gets rather concerning, shall we say, at the very least. Uh, This is from a piece by uh, uh, Terry Schwadron, who is uh, a reporter with DC Reports. And he writes, he says, can job applicants sue employers whose policies have a disproportionately deleterious effect on older people? Barrett said no. Should courts halt the deportation of an immigrant who faces torture if they are deported at home? Barrett said no. Should the courts protect refugees who have been denied asylum on the basis of prejudice and xenophobia, not on the quality of their refugee claim. Barrett said no. Should the courts shield prisoners from unjustified violence by correction officers? If guards in prisons routinely beat or rape prisoners, should the courts intervene? Barrett said no. Should minors be allowed to terminate a pregnancy without telling their parents if a judge has found that they're mature enough to make the decision? And, you know, several of these cases had to do with girls in their very early teen years, 13, 14, 15 years old, 16 years old, who had been raped by family members, by brothers, fathers, uncles, etc. And so they couldn't go to their parents and say, may I have permission for an abortion, or they felt they couldn't. So they go to, to a judge. Should they be able to get an abortion under circumstances like that? Handmaiden Amy Barrett said no. Should women be permitted to obtain an abortion if they discover that the fetus has a severe abnormality? This child is going to be born with uh, basically no brain, for example, you know, hydroencephalitis or spina bifida, an open spinal cord, so that they're not only profoundly retarded, but, you know, will never. I mean, this is what happened, uh, well, I don't want to go into it. Anyway, so that they'll never, they'll never get, in, even if they live to be 20, which is a, an old age for people with spina bifida, they'll never be intellectually or developmentally more than you know, one or two years old, still wear diapers, never talk, never speak. Should parents, knowing that this is, go- this is, this is what they have, or a child that's probably going to die within days of birth, should they be allowed to get an abortion. Amy Coney Bryant, handmaiden Amy, says no. She actually wrote a piece critical of John Roberts, the Chief Justice of the U.S. Supreme Court, who found a way to save Obamacare by striking down the individual mandate but saying everything else was good. Does she think he was wrong? Yes, she thinks he's wrong. And the week after the election, the Supreme Court is going to hear arguments from the Trump administration that it's time for the insurance company to stop being burdened by the requirement that they have to provide, they have to pay for the health insurance of people who, have, who are now sick and in the hospital because of a pre-existing condition. 
Oh yeah, that lung cancer you've got now in your 60s, that's because you smoked when you were 16 years old. We're not going to pay for your treatment. That was what was normal. Right? I mean, that was just what was absolutely, oh, you've got shingles? Well, you had chicken pox when you were a kid. That, that's a pre-existing condition. Oh, you've got, uh, you know, I mean, you know how they play the game. And, and, and Handmaiden Amy wants to bring this back. I, you know, I am totally respectful of her religion. If she wants to be, uh, you know, uh, a fundamentalist Catholic, fine. But don't bring it into the law. There is no place for that in the law, frankly. Judges need to be deciding the law based on what the law says. The major- and, and by the way, the law says right now, <laughs> of course it was law created by the Supreme Court in Roe v. Wade and Casey v. Planned, Parent- or Planned Parenthood v. Casey, but um, you know, the law says basically, first trimester of a pregnancy, you can get an abortion. Second trimester, you gotta jump through a bunch of hoops. Third trimester, damn near impossible. Unless there's a screaming emergency. I mean, that's basically the law, right? But, oh no, they want, they want to take us back to 1896. Separate but equal? Back there, yeah! No abortion rights? No! Women's, what's, what's next? Women have to have their father or their husband's signature to get a credit card? Should we go back to 1972? You're listening to the Tom Hartman Program. After all, the handmade cult that she's part of says that, you know, she has to defer to her husband. And that was the rationale back in 72. Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Ready to elevate your home? Picture this. Central heating, a cozy fireplace, or your dream walk-in closet. Build a backyard oasis, go green with solar panels, or start a business. It's all possible with Figure's Home Equity line of credit. Unlock up to $400,000. Apply online in five minutes. Funding in as little as five days. Head to figure.com and transform your home. Figure Lending LLC, DBA Figure, Equal Opportunity Lender, NMLS 1717824. Terms and conditions apply. Visit figure.com for more information. For licensing information, go to www.nmlsconsumeraccess.org. Welcome back. Alice in Madison, Wisconsin. Hey, Alice, what's up? Hi, I'm calling about the nominee's religion also. I understand, Mm -hmm. I call it a cult rather than a a denomination, and she has taken a pledge to her husband to obey his commands, I guess, for life. It's a lifetime agreement that she made. Mm -hmm. So I think we should have her husband interview the, the senators also since... If he doesn't like a law, you could tell her don't vote in favor of it or vote against it. And we need to know what his thoughts are. He would slow down the process. Yeah, yeah you know, I get it. And, and I'm probably going to have to stop calling her handmaiden Amy because it, it, it really focuses too much on this narrow spectrum of, 
what could be considered her personal life. But, yeah. you know, she has on numerous occasions in public said that her mission, I'm, this is, these are my words, not hers, but basically her mi- mission is to infuse the law with, with Christianity, with her religion. And I find that very troubling. But she's also taken a whole bunch of positions that are just very hostile to fundamental values and rights in the United States, like going back to separate but equal. But that's an interesting theory, Alice. Uh, you know, yeah, let's, let's interview her husband. <laughs> Thank you. I'm not sure I agree with it, but I, I, I want to digest that one. Denise in Calumet, Michigan. Hey, Denise, what's up? Well, I have to tell you, Tom, I called Jack Bergman, my congressman, who's Republican, and I'm not. I called him so many times, and finally about the Social Security issue, I called and I said, I know I'm not going to hear from you. You probably know I'm not Republican, so I don't expect to hear from you. And now I have a guy named Mike from his Washington, D.C. office that is assigned to call me whenever I call. Really? Yes. He's is that been, good? Every time I, I guess that's good because he, he tries to tell me things that, you know, and I, I give him my opinion, but he tries to tell me that, you know, Jack is fighting for our Social Security, and I just, 90% of his con- constituents up here are probably on Social Security or ready to be. And, you know, mm. it's just kind of like, I've got this guy, and he calls me now, but I have not heard from him since I called about what might happen with our election and my concerns about Trump messing with our election. I have not heard yet back from him on that one. So we'll see. Well, I, you know, it's a, it's a good thing that uh, you've got even a Republican congressman is actually doing constituent services, that he's, he's got somebody on the ball to call you. That's, that's good. Denise, keep us up to date. That's, <laughs> that's a great start. Dave in Federal Way, Washington. Hey, Dave, what's up? Hey, not too much, Tom. I called about Trump's taxes, but I'd like to say something about the Supreme Court. First, I heard a liberal and a moderate, quote-unquote moderate, talk about the loss of Ruth Bader Ginsburg, you know, what they thought of that. And, of course, the liberal was saying how tragic it was, it couldn't have come at a worse time, etc. But then the so-called moderate said, yes, it's tragic, but if Ruth Bader Ginsburg had resigned when Obama was president, Obama could have appointed a liberal like Merrick Garland. You see, did you see the trickery there? Merrick Garland is not a liberal. And see, this is what causes a lot of problems with people because that sounds so reasonable, all right? But, yeah, uh, Merrick Garland, Garland was the choice of, or these, of Republican, Utah Republican Senator Orrin Hatch. He was the one who recommended Merrick Garland to Obama because Obama said, you know, it's late in my term. I've got this case. I don't want to make it huge and contentious. And it's Scalia's seat, so it really should be a moderate. Who do you suggest? And that's, and that's where it came to. But with regard to Trump's taxes, Dave, I'm concerned that he's going to spend, well, I know, he's going to spend this by saying, I'm a smart guy. Nobody likes to pay taxes. I figured out a way to pay less taxes. And I think probably most Republicans and most of the people in his base will think that that's a wonderful thing. That's why I'm not focusing on how little he paid in income taxes. I don't care what he pays in income taxes. I know that you can, you can game that. You know, I'm concerned about how much he owes, that he owes $400 million to somebody, and we have no idea who it is. Back to you, Dave. Well, yeah, and I know you know the story about Mark Burnett and the celebrity apprentice outtakes, but I've been obsessed with it, okay? And you're probably a lot smarter than me on that. But Mark Burnett told Tom Arnold that he didn't want to release the outtakes of Trump saying the N-word because it would make Trump more popular. Now, this was driving poor Tom Arnold crazy, but I get what Mark Burnett is saying, and I think it's the same with the taxes. Look, Russia's behind this. All right, we created an anti-tax revolution in the Soviet, former Soviet states, all right, according to the KGB. We did that. And they are getting payback. They're getting payback by pushing racism and they're pushing tax contempt among right-wingers because they know most people in America, I mean, not most, but a lot don't even know the purpose of taxes. They don't understand that it makes you a good citizen. They think it's some sort of a Ponzi scheme by the government and stuff. But I'd like to get your take on that. Yeah, I don't disagree with any of that. And, and it's also, you know, uh, Putin is on record as saying that he thought the, the, the biggest tragedy to ever befall his country was the breaking up of the Soviet Union. And he blames it on the United States, perhaps correctly. 
And so, you know, is this revenge? Is the Trump presidency revenge? I think there's a there's a chance that that's the case. Dave, thanks for the call. Wow, what a day. <laughs> Douglas in Crystal City, Missouri. Hey, Douglas, what's up? Hi, Tom. I got a uh, question, and I'll take it the answer off air. They can they keep talking about expanding the Supreme Court to nullify the picks. They've also got mm-hmm. the ability to decrease it. Now, if they went down to five, how does that work? Would the least senior justices be the ones that have to vacate, or can they make them vacate? No, no. They this has happened twice before in in the election after after John Adams lost the election of eighteen oh one. Him and the Federalists. Uh, reduced the size of the Supreme Court by one to deny Jefferson any uh, nominees. Congress reversed that a year and a half later. Um, but, you know, it was a non, relatively a non-issue. There was an open seat at the time. And then um, uh, when Andrew Johnson became president after Lincoln was assassinated, um, the size of the Supreme Court was 10, and they reduced it down to seven, as I recall. And, uh, you know, there were still members on the Supreme Court. So basically what they were saying was, if, because one guy had died or had retired, I th- I'm pretty sure he had died um, just before just before Lincoln was assassinated. So there was an open seat on the Supreme Court. So basically, what they were saying is, not only can you not fill this open seat, but two more people can die, and you can't fill those seats either. So the court would have, you know, slowly shrunk down to that seven people size. Uh, you know, uh, ultimately, had that stayed in place. Actually, what happened was Ulysses Grant was sworn in as president a couple of years later, um, you know, at the end of Johnson, Andrew Johnson's term. And, and uh, as a result, Congress met and changed the size of the court to nine, which is where it's been ever since, which is where it is right now. Um, so that's how it would work, Douglas. Make sense? Thank you. Yeah, it does. Okay. Yeah, you're welcome. Thank you. Hello. Uh, John in San Diego. Hey, John, what's up? Hi, I've listened to you for a long time and read your books. I love it. Uh, I'm pushing for a big stall before the election on the nomination of Barrett to replace RBG. And there are a number of things that Schumer has in his context where he could, uh, uh, he has a, a weak stall, but uh, also for every vote, he could require a quorum, which would require the Republicans not to be campaigning, but they're in all 51 if he keeps his people off the floor. There are stalls that he has. And of course, the impeachment thing that Pelosi has would really stall them. If we get past the election and, and Kelly can win in Arizona, like it looks like, they'll only need one more Republican between the election and the inauguration. And I think someone can come over. I don't know that Romney will, but someone can come over. I think we ought to push for that. We need to preserve the court. Otherwise, for a generation, we're conservative. What do yeah, you think? It's a, it's a very real possibility, John, but I think it's a very remote possibility that any of those things will work. Uh, the, the simple reality is that, you know, we've been through this before. I mean, <laughs> this country has been through this before. We had, a, we had a Supreme Court back in the 1930s when FDR was trying to put the country back together after the Republican Great Depression that kept knocking down. I mean, they said you can't have laws against child labor. Uh, you know, I mean, that's how wild it was, right? You can't have laws to protect labor unions. You know, you can't have laws that protect workers. Uh, in fact, but that was what the Lochner decision. He got the court to be less, less conservative in, in the 40s. That's correct. He, he threatened to pack the court and they said, OK, we'll change our minds. And, you know, I'm disheartened by the fact that we've got, you know, a, a person who's probably to the right of Clarence Thomas about to go on to the court. Um, but I don't think that it's the end of the Republic. It might be the end of Obamacare, but that may be the birth of something really great. I mean, there, you know, Maybe Susan Sarandon at a certain... From Biden, do you think he could... I think it's entirely possible, idea. John, if, if the Supreme Court blows up Obamacare, I think it's entirely possible. And then if the Supreme Court says, no, you can't have Medicare for all, uh, you know, because Amy Coney, uh, Coney Bryant is, is more or less on the record saying that, you know, that, that's her, the logic that she's applying to say that Obamacare should not exist is essentially the same logic that you would apply to say Social Security and Medicare shouldn't exist. They weren't contemplated well, they by the founders. They don't want that either, the, sure. Right, they weren't part uh, of the I original think- idea. So if we can get enough of a majority in the Senate and or eliminate the filibuster, I think we can get some of those things with with the real um, big. Well, the, the one, the, the the yeah, maybe we'll see. We'll see. But, you know, I the thing is and, and the point that I want to make, John, is 
let's not get all, oh my God, oh my God here, right? I mean, there's, there's wild stuff going on. Donald Trump, in all probability, is leaning hard on, on Ron DeSantis in Florida, because Ron DeSantis is sitting on, is the governor of the state where Donald Trump has uh, his two largest and, and most money-losing properties in the United States, Doral and Mar-a-Lago. And they're losing a pile of money. They're losing millions of dollars a year. And he desperately wants Florida to open back up so that people will use his properties. And he's willing to kill people to get that. I mean, that, and, and that's like, oh my God, you know, it's like we're despairing about this. And then, and then you know, the whole Supreme Court thing and Mitch McConnell and, and, uh, and, and Trump is going to use, use Congress and the courts to try to steal the election. If all of that happens... If all of that happens, if we get, you know, uh, Auntie Barrett on the court and Donald Trump is president, at, you know, is sworn back in on January 20th. And I mean, just every worse outcome you can imagine. I am still of the opinion. Now, I'm very concerned about all those things. And I'm frankly very upset about all those things. But I'm of the opinion that the idea of democracy, the ideal of an egalitarian nation, the ideal, the, I, the, the notion that we all look out for each other in this country, that this country was created in part to promote the general welfare, as it says in multiple places in the Constitution, including its preamble that lays out its goals and purposes. I'm of the opinion that Americans won't allow this to stand. Now, I think, you know, we may be in for a very rough ride. I think if Trump can get himself sworn back in again, he's probably going to try and get us into a war to deflect our attention away from everything else that's going on. That'll suck up a lot of media time while he's you know, trying to figure out what can he give to Mohammed bin Salman so Salman will give him a billion dollars so he can pay off his loans that are coming due. But you can, I, and I promise you, I, I, I can virtually guarantee that that's the sort of thing that Trump is going to be doing because that's exactly what Jared Kushner did with Trump's help. He needed a billion dollars. His, his uh, 555 or 666 Fifth Avenue property was going down in flames. And, and, you know, what does he do? He goes off to the Middle East and stirs up some trouble and gets the money. You know, Trump will do the same thing. But all of that said, I don't think that we can allow ourselves to slide into despair. And I don't think that we should be freaking out. And I, and I you know, and I do believe that, and this is the point I started to make earlier, you know, Susan Sarandon back, you know, four years ago said that she was voting green and people were like, oh my God, what if Donald Trump becomes president? And she says, then people will realize how screwed up and corrupt this system is and how much it needs to change. And I was horrified by that when she said it. And a lot of us were very pissed off by that whole thing. And we were campaigning really, really hard to get, to, to get uh, Hillary Clinton elected as president. But there is some truth to what she said. And America is a hell of a lot more woke than we were four years ago. And people are paying attention and people are voting and people are learning about civics. And, you know, I think we're going to get through this. We'll be back. You're listening to Tom Hartman. Visit TomHartman.com for audio and video archives. Tom Hartman here. Did you know that Chief Justice John Roberts, back when he worked for Ronald Reagan, came up with a way that Congress and the White House could get around the Supreme Court? Specifically, they were trying to blow up uh, Roe v. Wade and Brown v. Board, but it could be used by Democrats right now. It's fascinating. It's in my new book, The Hidden History of the Supreme Court and the Betrayal of America. Check it out. Thanks so much. You're listening to Tom Hartman. Janine in Atlanta, you think I should not call Amy Barrett a handman? Do I have that right? Handmaiden, yes. How are you doing? I've watched a show, and the title should be Auntie Amy. <laughs> oh, so you're taking that from having watched the Handmaiden's Tale TV program? Yes. Okay, I, I have not seen the program. Louise and I watched like the first one or two episodes, and it was so dark. It was like, this is going to give us nightmares, and so we just stopped. So, <laughs> Ante is the title that's given, what, to the women in power? Yes. So, I mean, give me the rationale, Janine, for why I should refer to her as Auntie Amy rather than Handmaiden Amy. Well, an auntie is in power, and a handmaiden has like no rights at all. 
just for baby making and aunties in power. Ah. Like, like Amy. Right. So, okay, okay, so the handmaidens are basically the fodder for reproduction, and yeah, the aunties... Mm-hmm. They're like the cattle ranchers, and the handmaidens are the cattle. I got it. I got it. And an entirely appropriate metaphor, too, I think. Janine, thank you for that. Thank you. I will start calling her Auntie Auntie Amy. It's all, you know, it's a little more, what is it, onomatopoeia? It, it sounds a little better, too, so... I like that. Thank you very much, Janine. That was great. Kaula in Brooklyn. Am I saying your name right? Yes, yes. Hi. What's up? Hi. I um, just wanted to piggyback on um, some of the issues you were speaking about. And um, what's really um, tr- so troubling and devastating is that Amy Col- Colmey Barrett herself said that uh, a president should not be eligible to pick a have a support, Supreme Court pick in an election year, and she right. went on to say that, that four years that, ago. That person, four, and she looked straight into the camera, and uh, you mm-hmm. know it's, it's like amazing these people. And she she also went on to say that that pick should have a similar legal philosophy to the the um, to their um, predecessor, and you know she's saying things that are the complete. Uh, she's making arguments that were the complete antithesis to what she's saying and doing presently. And how how do you trust um, individuals with such power going into that those those seats and those institutions when they they lack moral integrity? They lack. Um, legitimacy, legitimacy and credibility. Um, well, know, she's double like, illegitimate, if I may interrupt you real quickly, because we're going to hit a break here in a second. She is on the Seventh Circuit right now because Barack Obama appointed a black woman for her seat. Right. And Mitch McConnell refused to hold hearings on that black woman so that he could hold that seat open for Amy Coney Bryant or Barrett. So when 2017 came along and Donald Trump, you know, was president, then Mitch McConnell rolls out Barrett and puts her in that seat. So she's sitting in a stolen seat right now. Right. Uh, You know, it's just mind boggling and I'm really speechless. But, you know, the Republican Party, they don't know exactly what they've done to this nation because I've never been so politically active or aware in my life. I donate to uh, the the Democratic um, contenders for Senate seats. I I fundraise. I make phone calls. I, I, you know, so, you know, we are paying attention. We are aware. We are becoming more knowledgeable. So I I think that's one of the things that, yeah, yeah, we're woke. (laughs) Thank you very much for the call. It's great to hear from you. Callie, if I'm saying that right, in Marietta, California. Kylie, yes. Kylie. Uh, My point, yes. My point is that when senators can um, say one thing, you know, four years ago and then change their mind, and even especially when they have um, said, hold us accountable to what we say, and we don't, and the Senate, other senators don't, it undermines the integrity of the whole Senate. If we can't trust them to um, keep to their words, then nothing they say and nothing they do really matters. Why should we put our trust in them? So I think it's so well, important Kylie, that. Well, Kylie, go ahead. No, I just think it's so important that you know who, whoever's in charge there, that they be held accountable to what they say. Yeah. What, uh, what can be done? But the simple re. Yeah, but the simple reality is that politicians have never been accountable for what they say other than at the ballot box. I mean, that, and that's how the system is designed. That, that, you know, if you don't like the way that your politician is behaving, vote them out. Uh, but politicians lying to Americans is something that goes back to the John Adams administration. It, it's, not, it's not new, and I'm not uh, particularly hopeful that we're going to be able to, particularly the Republicans in the Senate, but, you know, hey, there, there are Democrats who lie to their constituents as well. You know, I put Joe Lieberman at the top of that list, although he's not in Congress anymore, but, you know, thinking of the Senate. I think that just, just complaining about them is not going to be enough, Kylie. We I, need to be I doing, I mean, you're in that. California. 
No, I understand that just complaining about them is not enough, but nowadays we have them on tape. We have them speaking before the nation. We have them asking us to hold them accountable. So before, you know, um, they could say things in private and it's all hearsay, but nowadays we have them on tape play their words back to them and hold them accountable. We as a people have to, how can we do anything? Voting takes every two years or every four years to change. By then they could um, commit a multitude of sins against the American people and nothing can be done. Kylie, you're in California. The one thing that you can do, the, the person that you're talking about, by the way, is, is Lindsey Graham, as we both know. And, you know, Lindsey Graham, who is the chairman of the Senate Judiciary Committee that, you know, will decide, that will recommend or will do the first pass on a Supreme Court nominee, uh, famously said four years ago, you know, hold me to my word, right? You can use my words against me. Uh, that we should not be deciding a Supreme Court nominee in the year, in the last year of a president's term when they're up for re-election. And, uh, or when there's an election coming. I get that. The main thing that you could do as a resident of California is go to Jamie Harrison's website and help him out. Volunteer to phone bank for him. Uh, send him send him a few bucks, uh, you know, whatever it may be. Jamie Harrison actually is polling right now 50-50 with Lindsey Graham in South Carolina. And, you know, if you want to see Lindsey Graham pay the price for his lying to the American people and failing to keep his own word, the way to do that is to get him kicked out of the Senate, get him replaced by Jamie Harrison. It's real simple. It's how our It's how our system is supposed to work. So, you know, go for it. Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the Metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly... Patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Well, there's some interesting news out there that I think is worth uh, taking note of. Amy Coney Barrett. I figured out why I kept saying Bryant. I'm old enough to remember Anita Bryant and her whole anti-gay crusade, and that was stuck in my unconscious mind, apparently. It kept bubbling up. But in any case, Barrett. Amy Coney Barrett, who I sometimes refer to as Auntie Amy. Back in 2006 signed a full-page newspaper advertisement that said, we defend the right to life from fertilization to natural death. She signed this on behalf of a group that not only believes, but actively asserts that this should be law, that a fertilized embryo is a living human being, and therefore in vitro fertilization should not be allowed because, you know, the way you do that is you take a bunch of eggs and a bunch of sperm and mix them all together and then you see which ones combine and look like they're healthy and they're you know, most, most viable. And then you take a couple of those and you implant them and typically one sticks and you got a baby, right? But what this group is saying is that they're all babies. And when you pour those embryos down the drain, you are killing people. And therefore, that should be a criminal offense that you can put people in prison for or maybe even execute them for. This is our next Supreme Court justice. Really? And then David Beard uh, is reporting from the Associated Press that... People of Praise, which is the group, actually there was a, a, a piece in our local paper here about people in, people of praise here in Portland. They, they have a Portland presence. Um, that People of Praise is a, you know, is this group that uh, Amy Barrett has been a member of for apparently most of her life. 
Uh, he said, quote, uh, this is from one of the stories about them. Uh, this is a, a wife and her the, members of the people of praise. When she told her husband she wanted to wait to have more children, he began to accompany her to gynecological appointments to ensure that she could not get birth control. On Friday of last week, People of Praise removed all editions of their magazine, including all the references to Amy Coney Barrett, and apparently there are numerous ones, uh, they've been active in that group for four decades, from their websites. Uh, we don't want people to know about this. Why not? I mean, either it is or it isn't. Either you're proud of it or you're not. Either this is, you know, what you advocate or not. Um... But I, you know, I think it's going to get interesting. I think, you know, these hearings, I don't think the Democrats are going to be able to stop the hearings, frankly. But what they could do is they could turn them into a referendum on the Trump presidency. Judge Barrett, would you please describe the emoluments clause to us? Do you think that the D.C. hotel, actually, you wouldn't even have to ask about Trump. You can just say, could you please describe the emoluments clause? What, what would it mean at law? If a president of the United States tried to get another country to insert itself into our elections, particularly using fraud or lies, what would that mean? I mean, <laughs> what would it mean if the president of the United States let 200,000 people die? Hi, Tom Hartman here. In my new book, The Hidden History of Monopolies, How Big Business Destroyed the American Dream, I'll be taking you from the birth of America as a revolt against monopoly. Remember the Boston Tea Party? to the largely successful efforts of both Presidents Theodore and Franklin Roosevelt and other like-minded leaders to constrain corporations' monopolistic urges to the massive changes in the rules of business starting during the Reagan Revolution that have brought us into the cancer stage of capitalism. In the foreword by Ralph Nader, he says, This is the most important dynamic book on the cancers of monopoly by giant corporations written in our generation. End quote. It's the fourth in my Hidden History series. And don't forget, democracy is not a spectator sport. Democracy starts with you. Tag, you're it. Simon in Aberdeen, New Jersey. Hey, Simon, what's up? In the hmm? event that uh, Trump loses, do you think it would be incumbent on Biden to ask the Trump administration to be allowed to take over the whole coronavirus issue? I get what you're thinking, Simon, but A, it wouldn't be appropriate, and B, Trump would not agree to it. I guarantee you that. What I think Biden should do if he wins is the day after the win is defined, is scheduled, he should name his entire cabinet, and his cabinet officers should start holding daily briefings about what they will be doing and what they would do differently. I would love to hear from his secretary of education about how they're going to fix our public schools and undo the damage that was done by Betsy DeVos. I would love to hear from his administrator for the Environmental Protection Agency. I realize it's not part of the cabinet, but I would love to hear from that person specifically about the damage that Wheeler, this coal lobbyist, has done as the head of the EPA. I'd love to hear from the head of the Interior, the Secretary of the Interior, about the damage that's going to be undone by the oil lobbyist running that agency. I would love to hear from the Secretary of Defense about, you know, what he thinks is going on or she thinks. You know, I love your idea, Simon, but it ain't going to happen. And so I, what I'm offering is a practical alternative. In some other countries, they do this. It's called a shadow cabinet or a shadow government. Anybody from Great Britain knows exactly what I'm talking about. Alan in Charlotte, North Carolina. Hey, Alan, what's on your mind today? Hi, Tom. I wanted to put up a, with all the Supreme Court stuff going on, if the Democrats win and take control of the Senate, do we not have the option of, number one, going after and impeaching uh, this? I, I don't even want to mention your name because, like, I, she, she's, she's a non-entity to me, the, the woman who will be appointed uh, or who will be uh, by Trump, and then go back and try to impeach Kavanaugh to try to get two of the seats back because no. this, woman, this woman is being appointed by a president who really won illegally, and Kavanaugh should not have been approved because of, of, of the charges against him. I just don't see why they don't why they would yeah. not go after the judges at that point. Unless unless we can demonstrate that those votes in Michigan, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, um, and Ohio were manipulated by a foreign government 
mm-hmm. or that there was some other form of interference. I, I suppose you could argue that because he paid off Stormy Daniels and Karen McDougal uh, to be to be quiet before the election. I mean, that was a clear violation of election law. Um, but uh, you know, the Constitution basically says the Electoral College decides the president. Period. Full stop. It also says mm-hmm. that individual states can. F- can, can direct their electors to vote for whoever they damn well please. And that's the big problem we're facing. So to say that he was elected illegally and therefore is not going to work, number one. Number two, Alan, um, impeachment is a process that has to originate in the House of Representatives and then goes mm-hmm. directly to the Senate where, you know, the senators yeah. vote to remove somebody. If they didn't vote, if, if the senators would not even listen to a single witness, John Bolton is out today saying, I wanted to testify to the Senate and I wanted my book out by then, but the White House was holding it up. If the Senate continues to to basically stonewall on behalf of Donald Trump, I don't see any chance that that's going to be happening. Uh, Alan, thanks for the call. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Our book today in the Tom Hartman Book Club is by Ruth Marcus. Supreme Ambition, Brett Kavanaugh and the Conservative Takeover. This is from the prologue. Supreme Court Justice Anthony Kennedy had a request. Would President Trump have a few minutes to speak privately? It was April 10th, 2017, a sparkling spring morning in Washington, and Kennedy was at the White House to preside over the ceremonial swearing in of the newest Supreme Court Justice, Neil Gorsuch. First time in history that a sitting justice had sworn in one of his former law clerks to join him on the bench. Just 80 days into Trump's chaotic presidency, the confirmation of Gorsuch represented a rare and welcome victory for the beleaguered new administration, reeling from court defeats of its travel ban, and despite controlling both houses of Congress, unable to repeal President Obama's signature health care law. Perhaps most important, as the prominent conservative lawyers, activists, and judges assembled in the Rose Garden that day understood, Gorsuch's addition was just one step, necessary but not sufficient, in the three decades-long conservative bid to cement control over the high court. This effort had been as frustrating as it was lengthy. Seeming opportunities for dominance repeatedly slipped away with Republican nominees, including Kennedy himself, turning out to be less reliably conservative than advertised. But Republicans have learned from these costly errors, assembling a farm team of potential nominees whose judicial records could be carefully scrutinized to detect any risk of ideological deviation. Gorsuch was among those who came bearing the seal of approval of the Federalist Society, the conservative legal group that had made itself the central actor in this court-shaping exercise and was playing an even more outsized role in the new administration. Trump took pains to single out one man who was not in the Rose Garden that day, Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell, for all he did to make this achievement possible, quoting Trump. Indeed, everyone present knew that McConnell had been the indispensable man leading to that moment. Had it not been for McConnell, President Obama would have filled the vacancy created by Justice Anthony Scalia's sudden death in February 2016, and Justice Merrick Garland would be sitting on the high court, anchoring a newly fortified liberal majority. McConnell, with his audacious announcement that the opening would not be filled, no matter that Obama had 11 months remaining in his term, had avoided that fateful outcome. His intervention meant that Gorsuch now occupied Scalia's seat, a conservative for conservative swap. The next vacancy was almost certain to be the far more critical one, shifting the court's balance instead of affirming it. On that score, all eyes were on the 80-year-old Kennedy, then serving his 30th year on the high court and by dint of age, years of service and political allegiance, the most likely to depart. The swing justice on an already conservative court, Kennedy was pleased about Gorsuch, but he had another former law clerk in mind as he was ushered into Trump's private dining room for an unusual session with the president and White House counsel Don McGahn. Justices are routinely invited to the White House for social events, state dinners, and holiday parties, but at least until Trump took office, such one-on-one meetings were rare in the modern era. With its finicky notions about preserving the appearance of judicial independence, unlike the relaxed days when justices did double duty as private counselors to presidents such as Franklin Roosevelt and Lyndon Johnson. In the chronically leaky Trump White House, aides took pains to keep the Trump-Kennedy meetings secret. There were no public reports about the session, and only a few senior officials ever learned what Kennedy said to Trump that day. The justice's message to the president was as consequential as it was straightforward, and it was a remarkable insertion by a sitting justice 
into the distinctly presidential act of judge picking. As a candidate, Trump had upended tradition by issuing a list of judges. It ultimately grew to 21, including Gorsuch, from which he pledged to pick his Supreme Court nominees. Now Kennedy had a recommendation for Trump's list. You named one of my former clerks, Kennedy told Trump. You should think about another one, Brett Kavanaugh. When Anthony Kennedy spoke, the Trump White House listened, with good reason. During the campaign, when Trump, against all expectations, emerged as the Republican nominee and ultimate victor over Hillary Clinton, the issue of judicial selection had been a utilitarian means to an electoral end. The socially conservative and evangelical voters Trump needed to win were deeply, understandably suspicious of the thrice-married, once-democratic New Yorker. They were particularly dubious about how Trump would approach the critical task of shaping the federal judiciary, especially the Supreme Court. The list of high court candidates that Trump produced with the help of the Federalist Society, upending convention with typical Trumpian bravado, was explicitly aimed at calming their concerns, and it succeeded beyond the wildest expectations of its creators. On election day, more than a quarter of Trump voters identified the Supreme Court as the critical factor in determining their vote. White, evangelical, born-again Christians broke 81% for Trump to 16% for Hillary Clinton, meaning that Trump outperformed previous Republican nominees Mitt Romney, John McCain, and George W. Bush among such voters. In office, Trump not only keenly understood the politics of judicial selection and its importance for his re-election, he also gained a new appreciation for what the Supreme Court meant to a president's legacy. Thanks to McConnell's ruthlessness, Trump had inherited what no president had before, the gift of an existing vacancy. Supreme Ambition by Ruth Marcus. You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com.